Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called A Quest That Goes Nowhere. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, August the 14th, 2016. Open up the book of Jeremiah, wrote the Jesuit priest Daniel Berrigan, and you do not find a person looking for inner peace. Rather, Jeremiah earned the moniker of the weeping prophet for his life of grief over his wayward people. We read in Jeremiah 9.1, Oh, that my head were a spring of water, and my eyes a fountain of tears. I would weep day and night for the slain of my people. Jeremiah echoes the poetry of the psalmist in Psalm 80 for this week, namely that the people of God regularly experience the bread of tears, tears by the bowlful. God called Jeremiah to speak to the religious and political leaders of his country, their prophets, priests, and king. The collateral reading this week from Jeremiah 23 is only a snippet from a longer, longer section that in my Bible is entitled Lying Prophets, which reminds me of the comedian Al Franken's book, Lies and the Lying Liars Who Tell Them. Only in this instance, nobody was laughing. Like his cohort Amos, and with similar results, Jeremiah preached an unpatriotic, seditious, and judgmental message. Stop feeding our people reckless lies and false hopes. Stop betraying them with your delusional messages of comfort and hope. National disaster is upon us. <clears throat> with biting irony and bitter sarcasm, Jeremiah compared Judah's false prophets to the pagan predictors of Baal. Their worship was worse than Samaria their actions more evil than Sodom. He ridiculed their pseudo-prophecies as false hopes and reckless lies. It was like a false dream. They assured Judah that everything was fine, when in fact they were about to awaken to a nightmare of national destruction. To speak so bluntly, wrote Jeremiah, made his heart break and his bones tremble. And what was the national response to this prophetic word? A collective yawn. Nobody listened. Nothing changed. The status quo stood firm. The people despised the man and his message. And so the prophets, observed Bergen, press on through a trackless thicket of adverse will and pay a hefty price for their ominous call. For his 23 years of faithfulness to God's call, Jeremiah experienced indifference and hatred. He was beaten, received death threats, imprisoned, thrown down a well, and derided as an unpatriotic crank and traitor. Inner peace? Hardly. But history proved him right. In 586 B.C., Babylon ravaged Judah in Jerusalem, 
just like Jeremiah had warned. And despite all the reckless lies and false comforts of the nation's leaders. <clears throat> the message of the false prophets was one of self-aggrandizement and denial. You will have peace. No harm will come to you. Or, in modern parlance, our nation is an exceptional people. We're special to God and his purposes. He'll deliver us and protect us. For Jeremiah, this was a political problem of national proportions. The very survival of Israel was at stake. Anyone from any nation today might legitimately draw parallels to their own country and expose the comforting myths and the reckless lies told by its leaders to lull its citizens. But don't expect people to thank you for that. The gospel for this week from Luke chapter 12 belies false prophecies of personal peace. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth, asked Jesus? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. So too the epistle this week. Hebrews 11.29-12.2 is just the medicine I need to combat the sicknesses that Jeremiah diagnosed. Normally, I read Hebrews 11 as faith's hall of fame. True, it speaks of saints who did exploits for God, conquering kingdoms, shutting the mouths of lions, quenching the fury of flames. But when I read more closely and carefully this week, I discovered a different category of saints. Alongside these mighty saints who quote-unquote gained what was promised, 1133, there are many saints who did not receive what had been promised, chapter 11, verses 13 and 39. They received something far different. Here's how Hebrews described them. Others were tortured. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. These saints would have known what Jeremiah meant about false hopes and reckless lies, about personal peace and national safety. They would not have equated or confused their personal fortune with their Christian faith. Nor is this description from Hebrews an exaggeration. It could easily describe life under Nero or Diocletian, Hitler, Stalin, or Mao, Mugabe, or Assad. Similarly, the Apostle Paul confessed to the Corinthians that he lived a life of conflict without, fears within. And so, Berrigan cautions against a spirituality of personal equanimity. He writes, To the prophets of the Bible, 
that would have been an absolutely foreign language in a foreign view of the human. Jeremiah goes through the mountains and the valleys. That kind of richness I find very appealing. Whereas the kind of spirituality that looks for a flat emotional landscape brought on by the endless search for inner peace and equanimity, I find disturbing a quest that goes nowhere. For books this week, I review a book by Daniel Berrigan, edited by John Deere and with an introduction by Ross Labrie. The title of the book, And the Risen Bread, Selected Poems, 1957 to 1997, New York Fordham University Press, 1998. This book is 417 pages. After Daniel Berrigan died last April, just 10 days shy of his 95th birthday, I read this book of his collected poetry. Berrigan was many things, a Jesuit priest, playwright, author of over 50 books, university professor, and famous peace activist. He spent a long life celebrating the good news of Jesus rather than the bad news of Caesar. Most of all, like Elijah of old, he was a troubler of the modern conscience. Most famously, in 1968, Berrigan and eight other activists stole 378 draft files of young men who were about to be sent to Vietnam, dumped them into two garbage cans, poured homemade napalm on them, a mixture of kerosene and soap chips, and burned them in the parking lot of the Catonsville, Maryland Draft Board. A decade or so later, in 1980, he trespassed into General Electric's nuclear missile plant in King of Prussia, Pennsylvania, poured blood on some warhead nose cones, then hammered away to punctuate his prophetic point. For these and similar activities, he spent time on the FBI's 10 most wanted list, went into hiding, was on the cover of Time magazine, and eventually spent 18 months in prison as a convicted felon. In addition to his well-known prophetic social action, Berrigan was also deeply devoted to sacred and artistic contemplation. He published at least 15 volumes of poetry. His very first volume of verse, the title was called Time Without Number, 1957, was even nominated for a National Book Award and won the prestigious Lamont Prize for Poetry from the American Academy of Arts and Letters. This volume of poetry collects 400 pages of poetry that Berrigan wrote across 40 years, 1957 to 97. It's a wonderful collection, but it could have been so much better there's a brief bio biographical introduction that could have been expanded. It's not made clear which poems came from which previously published books. There's no author or subject index, bibliography, or footnotes at the end of the book. 
There are absolutely no historical explanations or introductions to any of the poems, which leaves the average reader clueless about what are otherwise important people and places in Berrigan's life and in his poems. This becomes even more important because most of his poetry is not easy to read. It's free verse with non-traditional wording, syntax, grammar, meter, rhyme, and form. I would also add that it's not clear to me how much or little poetry Berrigan published after 1997. After all, he lived for another 20 years. All of which is to say that now that Berrigan has died, I hope someone will collect, edit, and annotate a complete and critical edition of his poetry. The poems in this book capture Berrigan's faith that burn like fire, but they also reveal his feelings of futility, and thus the recurring theme of the holy fool, and also of his frustrations with the institutional church. The poems riff on biblical themes, his experience of the poor on the streets of New York City, personal friends and family members, a whole section of prison poems, creation in the world of nature, and his analysis of the American ethos. In his meditation on First and Second Kings, a book called The Kings and Their Gods, 2008, Berrigan leaves us with this challenge. One must urge a firm rebutting midrash. Bring Christ to bear. Read the gospel closely, obediently. Welcome no enticements, no other claim on conscience. Mourn the preachers and priests whose silence and collusion signal plain revolt against the gospel. Enter the maelstrom, the wilderness. Flee the claim that would possess your soul. Earn the blessing. Pay up. Blessed and lonely and powerless and intent on the master. And, if must be, despised, scorned, locked up. Blessed are the makers of peace. Daniel Berrigan. A collection of poetry, it's called And the Risen Bread, Selected Poems, 1957 to 1997. For movies this week, I review a documentary film called Poverty, Inc. It's from the year 2014. If you followed the debates about the international aid industry and efforts to address global poverty, then you will be familiar with the important message of this documentary movie. That is, most of the players agree that the system is broken. Oftentimes the current model makes things worse. The system has its own vested interests, and there still remains a sort of sentimental paternalism or neo-colonialism toward the aid recipients. A wide variety of very different do-gooders receive harsh criticisms in this film. The IMF and the World Bank, monster NGOs like World Vision, local church projects, rock stars like Bono, celebrities like Angelina Jolie, social entrepreneurs like the founder of Tom's Shoes, Charities, the U.S. Farm Lobby, and even conservationists. 
President Clinton admits in the film that it was a huge mistake to dump free rice into Haiti after the earthquake there. It killed the local market, dried up demand, ruined capacity, and put locals out of work. Those unemployed rice farmers then moved to the overcrowded cities looking for work. In fact, ideally, Haiti would like to grow and export rice. The same for those free Tom's shoes. Why produce or pay for rice and shoes locally when they come free globally? Alternately, the film showcases positive examples of local entrepreneurs. The film also raises many issues like bad governance, local corruption, overpopulation, widespread illiteracy, environmental degradation, and rule of law. Huge problems of complexity and scalability that won't be solved just by creative startups. There's an important footnote to this film. It was produced by the Acton Institute, which is a think tank that promotes, that promotes free market capitalism and libertarian policies. For our own Journey with Jesus take on ending extreme poverty, please see our interview with Diane Calvi in the list of 10 related book reviews about development. Once again, the title of the movie, Poverty, Inc., I-N-C. And finally, we've posted on our website a new poem by George Herbert, to go with the considerable collection of other poems already there. The title of the poem is Prayer. It's a series of metaphors about prayer by George Herbert, 1593-1633. Prayer, the church's banquet, angel's age, God's breath in man returning to his birth, the soul in paraphrase, heart in pilgrimage, the Christian plummet sounding heaven and earth, engine against the Almighty, sinner's tower, reversed thunder, Christ's side-piercing spear, the six days world transposing in an hour, a kind of tune which all things hear and fear, softness and peace and joy and love and bliss, exalted manna, gladness of the best, heaven in ordinary, man well-dressed, the Milky Way, the bird of paradise, church bells beyond the stars heard, the soul's blood, the land of spices, something understood. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, August the 14th, 2016. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.